On May 12, 1985, in a glitzy Manhattan hotel, National Basketball Association managers and journalists gathered for a major televised event. The excitement was palpable as the crowd mingled under spotlights. For the first time ever, the NBA was employing a draft lottery. This new and improved system would randomly award the top pick of college players to seven low-ranking NBA teams. An incredible amount of money rode on the success of the new system. It was the era before Kobe and King James, before the NBA became a monster in ratings, marketing, and merchandising. The entire league teetered on the brink of extinction. By 1985, drug problems and injuries were commonplace. Fans were leaving the sport, and so was their money. The NBA struggled to even sell tickets to games, much less expensive merchandise. This added up to millions of dollars in losses for team owners and executives. NBA commissioner David Stern knew the only solution was to revitalize the reputation of the league. And the new draft seemed like a perfect opportunity to manipulate the NBA's future and funnel millions into Stern's own pocket. Welcome to Conspiracy Theories, a Spotify original from ParCast. Every Monday and Wednesday, we dig into the complicated stories behind the world's most controversial events and search for the truth. I'm Carter Roy. And I'm Molly Brandenburg. And neither of us are conspiracy theorists. But we are open-minded, skeptical, and curious. Don't get us wrong. Sometimes the official version is the truth. But sometimes it's not. You can find episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. This is our first of two episodes on famous NBA conspiracy theories. In this episode, we'll investigate whether the 1985 NBA draft lottery was rigged. We'll examine how the bleak future of professional basketball might have led to a fixed draft. We'll examine two theories about the 1985 draft. Theory number one is known as the frozen envelope scheme. Supposedly, a marked envelope allowed David Stern to rig the draft. Theory number two is that a corrupt corporate plan was behind the draft fix and that this corruption may influence the NBA today. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Bottling everything up can be really bad for you in the long run and have some terrible consequences. And this isn't a conspiracy theory. The more you let things build up, the more of a toll it can take on your mental health. I know for me, in dealing with some traumatic events in my life, I had the tendency to think, well, they've already happened. I'm okay. Other people have it worse. It doesn't matter much. And through therapy, was really able to understand how those events impacted me and changed how I'd started to see the world in ways that weren't great and were sometimes making my life worse. So therapy or dealing with any traumatic events you've had might really help you in terms of how you can live in the present moment now. So if you want to give therapy a try, check out BetterHelp. It's entirely online, convenient, and flexible. It's also really easy to get started. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. 
Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com conspiracy today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash conspiracy. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispie, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Now back to our story. The early 1980s were filled with iconic basketball stars. Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar are just a few legends that played during this era. Celebrity players thrilled fans with their incredible skills on the court, but some behavior was not worth celebrating. On August 20th, 1980, the LA Times reported on multiple accounts of cocaine abuse by NBA athletes. The general manager of the Utah Jazz even speculated that there wasn't a single team in the league that didn't have a drug problem. New York Knicks star Michael Ray Richardson had five documented stays at rehabilitation clinics. New Jersey Nets forward Bernard King had been arrested for cocaine possession, as had Hawks guard Eddie Johnson. Some estimates claimed 75% of all NBA players used drugs. These habits culminated in the death of shooting guard Terry Furlow. Furlow died in a fatal car accident in 1980. An autopsy found Valium and cocaine in his blood. Substance abuse also made players vulnerable to all sorts of criminal activity. FBI files suggest that during the 1981-82 season, at least three New York Knicks players were indebted to one of the largest drug dealers on the East Coast. These debts led the Knicks to participate in point shaving, or intentionally missing shots, in order to get a particular score. This way, their drug dealer could place a bet on that score, and because of the player's cooperation, he was guaranteed to win. It was the player's way of paying him back. Drugs also wreaked havoc on the player's mental and physical health. Stimulants like cocaine can increase violent behavior, and in this era, many players had an extremely physical style of play. Intentional fouls were tolerated. Fights broke out between players on the court and often got whole teams involved. The violence led to frequent, significant injuries. For example, Houston Rockets player Rudy Tomjanovich's career was cut short after an infamous 1977 brawl between his team and the L.A. Lakers. Another player punched Rudy so hard, his skull was dislocated and spinal fluid leaked out of his brain. And the whole thing was caught on camera. The video was shown on news stations over and over. It cemented the image of the NBA as supporting violence instead of sportsmanship. Fans became disillusioned with the state of the game. Players seemed more like villains than heroes as they threw punches and dabbled in drugs. Dwindling fans led to fewer televised games and further negative publicity. 
An all-encompassing disaster loomed on the horizon. The end of the NBA's television deal with CBS. Their contract was about to expire, and it was worth over $91 million to the NBA. But CBS didn't seem to value basketball games anymore. Most games aired late in the night, even if they were played during primetime. By all appearances, CBS wouldn't bother renewing the contract. To NBA Commissioner David Stern, it was obvious the business was failing. So he decided to take matters into his own hands and change the draft. Up until 1985, the league's entry draft for new players worked like most other sports. The two teams with the worst records from the previous season each had a chance to select the best college rookie. The selection order between these two teams was decided by a simple coin toss. But in 1985, Stern decided to do things differently. His goal was to make the draft more entertaining, more fun and transparent, and more marketable. The draft itself would become a television event. Under Stern's new draft plan, the bottom-ranked seven teams would be in the running for first pick. And instead of a coin toss, the order would be decided by an exciting lottery. Stern's idea was to have the seven team names written on cards and placed inside envelopes. The envelopes would get shuffled into a hopper, the sort of wheel used in bingo, then picked at random. The first envelope chosen would get the seventh pick, all the way up to the last team chosen, which would get the coveted first pick. This gave each team a 14.3% chance at snatching up the greatest rookie entering the league. Not great odds, but fair and unbiased. Unfortunately, Stern was biased. He had a favorite among the seven, his hometown team, the New York Knicks. He arguably wanted the Knicks to get the best college player available, and in 1985, there was no doubt about who that was. Patrick Aloysius Ewing. He was a legend from Georgetown University. At seven feet tall and 244 pounds, Ewing dominated the court. He jumped higher and moved faster than any other rookie that year. Ewing's potential was obvious. He was going to be a star player. Whichever team won him in the 1985 draft would be destined for championships. Ewing could fill stadiums with fans, which made him a lucrative prospect. Ewing would have brought the NBA ticket sales and TV coverage no matter what team he was on, but Stern undoubtedly hoped it would be the Knicks. He just needed to figure out a way to make that happen. On May 12, 1985, 200 spectators piled into Manhattan's Waldorf Astoria Hotel to watch the draft. Seven NBA team managers anxiously took their seats. CBS commentator Pat O'Brien compared the tension in the air to a courtroom during a murder trial. Of all the 162 eligible athletes, Ewing was the name on everyone's lips. A hush fell over the crowd as David Stern entered along with a representative from the draft's auditing firm, Ernst & Winnie. The firm was tasked with making sure the draft was secure, fair, and that it went off without a hitch. 
A representative from Ernst & Winnie placed the seven envelopes inside a circular drum. Then, Stern began reading out the selections, counting down from the seventh pick to ensure the most suspense. The first envelope read belonged to Golden State, arguably the worst team in the NBA at the time. If the coin toss was still in place, Golden State would have been guaranteed one of the top two picks, but not this time. Next up was Sacramento, then Atlanta, Seattle, and the LA Clippers, until it finally came down to the last two teams, Indiana and New York. Stern revealed the second-to-last envelope slowly and with maximum fanfare. Neither team wanted to hear their name called because it meant they were the second pick. Stern paused, then revealed Indiana's team logo. The room exploded in cheers. The only envelope left belonged to New York. The Knicks would receive the first pick in the draft, and there was no doubt they'd select Patrick Ewing. The 1985 draft seemed to save the NBA from ruin. Their CBS contract was renewed with increased value. Ticket sales rose, profits grew exponentially for the next 30 years, culminating in a 2016 TV deal that was worth $24 billion. However, suspicions circulated about the outcome of the so-called lottery. Rumors spread that league officials knew beforehand that Ewing was going to the Knicks. The Atlanta Hawks manager even told Sports Illustrated that he'd heard an executive say, quote, it's all arranged. Even today, rumors persist about the 1985 draft. Ewing's spot with the Knicks seemed like more than luck. It smacked of a conspiracy. And thanks to David Stern's obsession with TV coverage, the whole thing may have been caught on tape. Coming up, the NBA gets the video replay. Hi, listeners. It's Carter from ParCast, and I am thrilled to tell you about a new limited series I'm hosting just in time for Father's Day. It's called Devious Dads, and it introduces you to some of the most feared, fraudulent, and fatal fathers in history. Every Sunday on Spotify, discover the men who started out as role models and ended up becoming real-life criminals like Wall Street financier Bernie Madoff, whose billion-dollar Ponzi scheme destroyed countless families, including his own. Or Marvin Gaye Sr., whose envy and resentment towards his son's successful music career drove him to murder. Each episode of Devious Dads has been handpicked from shows across the ParCast network, shining a light on the men who are far more wicked than wise. This summer, catch a glimpse of the frightening side of fatherhood. Follow the Spotify original from ParCast, Devious Dads. Listen free only on Spotify. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Now back to the story. In May 1985, 
the New York Knicks won the first pick in the NBA draft lottery, all but guaranteeing that Patrick Ewing would be chosen. After the broadcast, the future immediately looked bright for New York. Within two hours, Knicks' ticket sales were through the roof. There was no question who the team was going to draft. At the event, the Knicks' general manager showed off a Knicks jersey displaying Ewing's number, 33. It was as if they all knew the draft outcome, which leads us to conspiracy theory number one, known as the frozen envelope. This theory suggests that the Knicks' envelope was somehow marked, either by being frozen or bent. In both variations, Stern was able to identify the envelope in order to choose it last. If the envelope was frozen, one of the conspirators likely placed it in a freezer the night before. It may also have been filled with slivers of dry ice just before it was sealed. Stuffing and sealing the envelopes was one of the tasks of the auditing firm Ernst & Winnie. So for this theory to work, at least one of the firm's employees would have had to be in on it. Ernst & Winnie representative Jack Wagner was the one who carried out the envelopes and put them into the hopper on live TV. But it appears that a different employee had been in charge of placing the team names into the envelopes beforehand. And this was done in private. Wagner denied involvement in any conspiracy. But who knows how many people had possession of the envelopes before he brought them out? Any one of them could have switched out a frozen envelope. Freezing the envelope would have been a shrewd move since the temperature wouldn't be visible. And if anybody was suspicious about the outcome, the envelope would have likely warmed up by the time it was inspected. But this is also one of the problems with this theory. Experiments have shown that a manila envelope stored in a freezer overnight will only remain cold to the touch for about 52 seconds once it's removed. Still, there might have been a cooler or cold storage backstage to keep it cold right up until it was brought on stage. But in the TV broadcast, it appears that all the envelopes are visible for around 50 seconds before Stern touches them, which is cutting it pretty close. Even if the envelope had been kept in a cooler, too much time might have passed. It probably would have warmed up by the time Stern touched it. Then again, freezing isn't the only way the Knicks envelope might have been marked. Looking closely at the TV footage, you can see Wagner bang the Knicks envelope against the edge of the hopper as he throws it inside. This bump may have creased the envelope at the corner. Many theorists have replayed the footage frame by frame to show how Stern chose the marked Knicks envelope. When he goes to choose, Stern grabs a pile of envelopes, turns them over, and according to some viewers, thumbs the corner of one of the envelopes before choosing it. Even more alarming is that this envelope is from the bottom of the pile, and it's not the first one he touched. Still, television footage from 1985 is grainy. This was long before high-definition cameras and broadcasts. The video isn't clear enough to see a crease in the envelope, even if Stern does touch the corner. And one of the news stations that was known to replay the footage and hype up this theory was in Indiana, the last team up against the Knicks in the 1985 draft lottery. 
But there's also Stern's behavior to consider. On the day of the draft, Stern's mannerisms appeared extremely nervous. Normally, he was regarded as aloof and calm. But as the lottery unfolded, Stern kept staring at the envelopes. In the footage, his head practically rotates with the hopper as it spun the envelopes, like he's trying to keep an eye on one in particular. When he chooses the Knicks envelope, Stern appears to sigh heavily as if he's calming himself, like he's about to do something illegal. Of course, he's also on live national television, participating in a new draft system that has never been done before. That's a lot of pressure to perform, which makes it easy to understand why Stern might have been nervous. Still, there was a lot at stake with the draft, and the video does raise some questions about Stern's behavior. On a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being absolute truth, I give the marked envelope theory a 3. I give it a 5. Whether it was frozen or bent, there were multiple ways to mark the envelope so Stern could choose the Knicks. And there was a strong motive, besides his being a Knicks fan. Patrick Ewing's star power was simply too valuable to not have him in New York, the biggest market in the country. This meant more TV, merchandise, and fans, all of which put more money into NBA coffers. And there might have been more people behind it than just Stern and his cronies at Ernst & Winnie. What looked like an inside job could have been a massive corporate conspiracy, one that still operates today. On May 13, 1985, the day after the NBA draft lottery, rumors were already circulating that the draft had been rigged. But soon, a more elaborate theory emerged. This brings us to conspiracy theory number two. The 1985 draft was an elaborate corporate conspiracy between Stern, the accounting firm Ernst & Winnie, and several big businesses with billions of dollars at stake. The morning after the draft, New York newspapers revealed a financial paper trail that led right back to Stern. Stern had hired Ernst & Winnie to supervise the lottery and make sure the system was fair. But the firm also managed the accounts of an American business conglomerate called Gulf & Western. And Gulf & Western owned Madison Square Garden and the New York Knicks. Coming up, the NBA continues its lucky streak. Oh, such a clutch pickup, Dave. I was worried we'd bring back the same team. I meant those blackout motorized shades. Blinds.com made it crazy affordable to replace our old blinds. Hard to install? No, it's easy. I installed these and then got some for my mom, too. She talked to a design consultant for free and scheduled a professional measure and install. Hall of Fame son. They're the number one online retailer of custom window coverings in the world. Blinds.com is the GOAT. The GOAT. Go to Blinds.com for up to 45% off. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Now back to our story. 
When news leaked that Gulf and Western, the owners of Madison Square Garden and the New York Knicks, also owned the firm that handled the NBA draft, journalists had a field day. It seemed like an obvious conflict of interest. The story spread like wildfire. Astonishingly, the president of Madison Square Garden came forward claiming to have pitched the idea two months before the draft. He said it was a simple matter of threatening the firm, implying that if Ernst and Winnie hadn't put Ewing in a Knicks jersey, they would have been fired. He later claimed he was joking. But remember, the Knicks manager had also seemed confident in the pick. He had a jersey for Ewing ready before the draft even happened. As time went on, the financial benefits resulting from the 1985 draft piled up. As ticket sales climbed, merchandise sales bearing Ewing's name also exploded. More people were watching games on TV, making advertisements more valuable. These financial gains added fuel to the rumors. It seemed obvious to fans and managers that the NBA had taken advantage of the draft system to make money for a single big-name team. But rather than responding to the allegations, David Stern changed the system again. Starting in 1990, the draft used ping-pong balls instead of fragile envelopes. The new draft supposedly offered a staggered set of odds that was more fair for worse-ranked teams. But in the ensuing years, the system always paid off for the NBA. In 1992, the Orlando Magic had only been an NBA team for three years, and they were struggling to make money for the league. Then they won the first pick in the lottery draft, despite not having the best odds. And they won the year after that, too. Two back-to-back wins seemed highly unlikely, but thanks to the picks, Orlando walked away with superstar Shaquille O'Neal and Penny Hardaway. Orlando Magic ticket sales increased substantially, bringing in plenty of new money for the NBA. Five years later, in 1997, the Boston Celtics had a terrible losing streak, winning only 15 games in the season. In the next draft, Boston desperately hoped to draft college all-star Tim Duncan to revitalize the franchise. But some fans think that Stern didn't want Duncan to end up in Boston. He was more interested in revitalizing San Antonio, whose record had tanked after their star player was injured. So despite much lower odds, San Antonio won the draft, ensuring their team would pick Duncan. A few years later, the draft in 2000 brought new questions about the integrity of the draft system and fresh accusations against David Stern. The NBA had increased the number of teams participating. The team with the worst record from the previous year had a 25% chance of winning the first pick. The rest of the teams had declining odds based on their previous season. One of these was the New Jersey Nets. In 2000, the Nets were a mid-ranking team managed by Stern's good friend, Rod Thorne. So when New Jersey won the draft, despite low odds, Stern was accused of playing favorites. Ever since the draft's inception, it consistently placed high-value players on teams that were most valuable to Stern and the NBA. But there was almost no concrete evidence of corruption. 
Meanwhile, the NBA became a financial juggernaut. In the early 2000s alone, league income more than doubled. And whenever a team suffered, the league seemed to swoop in and conjure a miracle. For example, in 2007, ticket sales were plummeting for NBA teams in the Pacific Northwest. Fortunately, Seattle and Portland both happened to win top picks in the draft that year. But it wasn't enough. The Seattle Supersonics continued to suffer declining ticket sales until there was one last hope for profit, selling the team. Oklahoma City businessman Clay Bennett bought the Seattle Supersonics and wanted to move them to his hometown. The only problem was that the Supersonics had a lease with the city of Seattle. Bennett allegedly asked for Stern's help moving the team, and not long after that, the lease ended early. The team moved to Oklahoma and Seattle fans were gutted. The move meant great financial loss for the city. Season ticket holders in Seattle sued the new team owners to get their money back. Stern was accused of bad faith business moves, broken promises, and unsportsmanlike conduct. By 2010, the pattern of seemingly corrupt moves was well established. If a team had an opportunity to increase profit for the league, they seemed to magically receive top picks in the draft, which was still run by Stern. But there were also opportunities for players in the league, like superstar LeBron James. In 2010, LeBron became a free agent and left his storied home in Cleveland to move to the Miami Heat. Players shifted around often, but this was the top player of the decade. The move sparked a potential PR crisis. Cleveland fans were enraged. David Stern needed to change the narrative, and the draft was a tried-and-true method. A year later, in the 2011 draft, Cleveland ended up with the first pick and the fourth pick, after having only marginal odds of winning either. There was no denying. The system seemed to work perfectly to maximize benefits for the league, regardless which teams gained or lost. And in 2012, the NBA took the next step, direct ownership. Up to this point, NBA teams were owned by conglomerates or wealthy individuals. The league itself didn't have direct entitlement over any of the teams, but rather had intricate systems of profit sharing. In 2010, the New Orleans Hornets were on shaky ground. The city had been devastated by Hurricane Katrina less than a decade before. The city's infrastructure was still recovering and ticket sales were mediocre. The team was losing cash, so the NBA made the unprecedented move of buying the franchise for a reported $318 million. The Hornets would later become the Pelicans as part of a rebranding strategy. The tactic worked and ticket sales increased. But that wasn't all. Stern turned around and sold the Hornets for a tidy profit of some $20 million. The sale was conveniently finalized right after the Hornets secured the number one draft pick. By this point, many fans were disgusted by the apparent pattern of corrupt manipulation, but after so many years, they've become resigned. 
Meanwhile, the draft seems like nothing more than a tool for the league to increase their own profits. Fans have no way to know what is luck and what is corporate cronyism. There are a few signs of proof for this theory. For example, the accounting firm Ernst & Winnie, which oversaw the suspicious 1985 draft, saw exponential success alongside the NBA. Eventually, the firm became Ernst & Young, now EW, one of the world's largest professional services providers. In 2019 alone, it generated $36.4 billion. Since most of the evidence for this theory is based on a lucky pattern coupled with obvious profit, I give it a 4 out of 10. Even Patrick Ewing says he does not believe the NBA fixed the lottery and that he was simply blessed. But that pattern of luck seems too coincidental. I give the corruption theory a 6. No matter whether the draft was rigged or simply lucky that year, 1985 was a watershed moment for the NBA. Since then, the league has become one of the most profitable sports industries in the world. David Stern died in 2020 and left behind a powerful legacy and many unanswered questions. But one thing is certain, where there is money to be made, somebody will always game the system. Thanks for tuning in to Conspiracy Theories. We'll be back next time with a new episode on the NBA. Did Michael Jordan really retire because he wanted to be done playing basketball? Or did it have to do with his gambling debts? You can find all episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. Until then, remember, the truth isn't always the best story. And the official story isn't always the truth. Conspiracy Theories is a Spotify original from ParCast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound designed by Dick Schroeder, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Conspiracy Theories was written by Lisa S. Boyd, with writing assistance by Andrew Messer and Allie Wicker, fact-checking by Anya Bayerly, and research by Bradley Klein. Conspiracy Theories stars Molly Brandenburg and Carter Roy. Hey there, Carter again. As we close out, here's a reminder to check out my new ParCast limited series, Devious Dads. For 10 weeks, we're exposing the men who are far more flawed than fatherly, ruining anyone who stood in their way, even their own families. Follow Devious Dads free only on Spotify.